0: This is And Another Thing with your hosts Jody Jenkins and Tony Clement. And Another Thing, the podcast of the century. Uh, the reviews are. The just millennium, even. The millennium. It's sure. like yeah. The reviews, I've been reading them on iTunes. Yeah, thanks for posting those. They're buddy. off the charts. They are They're off the charts. <laughs> I mean. You know, I want to thank my mom. She's been responsible for the majority of them, but uh,
1: and my sister Marnie. She's yeah. she's been she's been very very fulsome in her praise.
0: Okay, so we continue with a long-standing tradition of only the best guests. And Tony, I want you to introduce our next guest because he's waiting patiently. So go ahead.
1: Well, we are pleased to have on our podcast TV Ontario's Steve Paken. Let's hear it for Steve. <laughs> It's actually just two of us applauding, Steve. Sorry we don't have a studio audience. But, of course, a long-standing uh, member of the Fourth Estate and uh, and certainly somebody who has had a mark on both Ontario politics and federal politics, and a long-standing author as well, including his latest work, which was an amazing biography of William G. Davis. Steve, thank you for being on the
0: show. Uh,
2: it is a delight to be with you guys. And when you say that you only get the best guests, I think I'm only the second ever guest you've had, right?
0: <laughs> well, no, that's not true. Not, You're the fourth. Not true anymore. You're the fourth. <laughs>
2: oh, so, I'm the fourth. Okay, yeah. I was going to yeah. say the competition has not been uh, terribly brutal, but uh, if I, if okay, all right, I'm happy to be part of the tradition. This, this
1: is a new this is a new podcast. I think it's safe to say, but uh, indeed we're we're having a lot of fun with it. and We've had some great guests. We wanted to talk a little bit about, or at least I did. Uh, Jody has his own questions, of course, but. Uh, obviously, William G. Davis has been um, a part of your life, and you, you almost had this uh, g- compulsion, if I can put it that way, to make sure that uh, Bill Davis, a former premier of Ontario, uh, Canada, was given uh, the right treatment in a biography, in writing something about his life and his premiership. What, what compelled you to do that?
2: I think, Tony, it's because my most formative years growing up in the, pro- in the province of Ontario were, coincidentally, his most formative years in politics. Uh, he became premier when I was 11 years old, and he stayed premier till I was 24, I guess. So if you, if you think about that, I did a lot of growing up, I hope, during those years, and he would have been probably the most influential political leader in my world at that time and it's interesting, I was in, uh, I was in Centennial College's uh, Toronto campus yesterday and I, you know, it's a room full of I guess about 25 uh, well-educated, intelligent young people in their twenties and I said, you know, you are all in the first community college ever built in the province of Ontario. It's about 50, 55 years old. Does anybody here know who created the college system? And of course, nobody did. Yeah. And I'm not surprised nobody did, because it's a long time ago that it happened. And and apropos of your first observation, yeah, I wanted to write a book to make sure that anybody who took the trouble to read the book would know that we have some of these things in our society, like the college system, like TVO, like OISE, uh, and the list could go on, like the Sky Dome down on the waterfront of uh, Toronto, because there was a guy named Bill Davis who made some pretty good decisions. Uh, going as far back as a half a century ago, so that that I think sums up my interest.
1: I, you know, and the thing about it is, uh, he was also uh, a premier at a different time. Let's face it; uh, we, we're in a in a society and in a culture and in a world now of disruptive politics, disruptive mm-hmm. economics, disruptive uh, social interactions, and so forth. Um, is is that part of what you wanted to convey as well? That there was a time when politics was more civil. Uh, and that uh, this is something that we we should remember as well?
2: I'd go even further than that, Tony. I'd say it was the golden age. And I would say that, not because I remember it firsthand so much. I think the probably the best years we had in Ontario politics in the last half century were in the late 1970s, when Mr. Davis uh, only had a minority government. Remember, he, he won uh, with a very large majority in 1971. Things went downhill very quickly, and he lost his majority in seventy five came back with a small minority. Uh, Two years later, as his poll numbers got better, he orchestrated his own defeat and then tried to reclaim the majority, but he came a few seats short. And it was during that period, 1977 to 1981, where I have been told by so many people who were practitioners of politics in the province at the time, that we had a kind of a golden age of democracy then. And by that, I mean, Mr. Davis, you know, had a, he had an understanding of when to tack left to get the NDP support on various things, or when to tack right to get the liberal support on various things, or when to create an all-party committee and task everybody with coming up with a solution, which would therefore have more buy-in. So, yes, it was a less disruptive time. There was It was a time of more social co- cohesion. There was no politics of personal destruction. You didn't go out to try to uh, you know erase or eliminate your political enemies. You had differences with political opponents, but it was none of this, let's step on the throat of the guy and see if we can crush the life out of him. It was a, it was a more civil time. And I think because of that, it takes on kind of, uh, it's more than nostalgia. It's it's aspirational. It would be great to be able to get the
1: back to some of that. So we're in 2019, 2020. Do you think Justin Trudeau uh, should uh, take some, uh, some leaves out of the pages of, of, of uh, Bill Davis' book?
2: Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, the, the two of them met each other for the first time at a great cup game I'm gonna say gosh I can't remember the year but let's let's say it was probably in um, It was probably when Justin Trudeau was about six or seven or eight years old and Pierre Trudeau was still the prime minister of the country and uh, as was the custom back then the prime minister and the premier of whatever province the game was taking place in would sit together during the game and Pierre Trudeau apparently leaned over to Bill Davis and said Bill Um, you know, we're French Canadians, we don't really know football all that well, would you explain this game to my boys? And that would have been the first in-depth conversation that Bill Davis and Justin Trudeau had. Um, I'm sure over the years it has not escaped the current Prime Minister's understanding that if he wants a better understanding of how minority Parliament works, uh, there's a 90-year-old guy living in Brampton, Ontario, who was a master at making it work because he had to do it for six straight years, in the late 70s, early 80s. So I'm sure he's got his phone number.
0: Steve Pakin is our guest here on And Another Thing, Jody Jenkins, Tony Clement. Don't forget to subscribe. We're talking about Bill Davis. And Steve, I wanted to ask you because there's another gentleman who talks about Mr. Davis quite a bit, and that, of course, is Patrick Brown. I'd be interested in knowing your thoughts and following the saga with Patrick and, of course, your affiliations and following Ontario politics. Do you feel that Patrick has rebounded in a way that kind of has shown... Like, is he back on his feet with, you know, his municipal success? But do you think he's where he wants to be? Well,
2: I think the the people of Brampton decided to put him back on his feet because... uh, you know, despite the fact that I, I'm not even sure he lived in Brampton when he first ran uh, to be the mayor. He lives there now, but I'm not sure he did at the time. Um, you know, they gave him a victory uh, a year and a half. Well, how long ago was that now? In the last municipal election, whatever yeah, it was. Uh, thir- yes. thir-
1: 13 months, 14 months. Yeah.
2: 13, yeah, thir- back in uh, October of last year. So they made that decision. Um, I-, I always found it amusing that Patrick Brown, probably mentioned Bill Davis's name about 10 or 12 times in every speech he gave when he was the Ontario PC Party leader. He very much um, wanted to recreate the kind of Davis coalition of centrist, pragmatic, moderate, progressive conservatism, as opposed to sort of more small-c right-wing conservatism that we uh, saw in Ottawa, I think it's fair to say, uh, some of the time. And uh, even what we saw in the first year of uh, Doug Ford's government, which was sort of more aggressive uh, right-wing populism, Brown uh, wanted to refashion that coalition. I think there's every indication that if he'd stayed in the job and led uh, the PC party into the election in 2018, uh, he'd have been the premier um, instead of uh, Doug Ford, uh, in which case, um, you know, you could say the Davis coalition would have been back in style and back in power, but uh, but he is where he is right now and uh, seems to be having a good go of it.
1: So you and I, uh, Steve, were very recently uh, at Queen's Park, although in different parts of the uh, the uh, foyer there, uh, witnessing the unveiling of the official portrait of Kathleen Wynne. And oh, And, yeah. of course, Doug Ford was on the stage doing the introduction, and I thought he did a very gracious job. Uh, I, I'm sure you'll agree with that. D- are you... Now seeing, uh, are we seeing a new Doug Ford? Uh, there's a, such a difference between year one and, and now going into year two on so many fronts. Is that your understanding of things?
2: Absolutely. And I, and I would echo your comments. I thought it was the premier's finest hour, actually, that I've seen in the, uh, whatever it is, year and a half that he's been premier of Ontario. Uh, he got up to the lectern and he said, Kathleen, I, I even wore my special red tie for you tonight. And then he couldn't have been more gracious in his comments uh, to Kathleen Wynne. And uh, I think he said something like, you know, from, from this moment forward, when little girls go visit the second floor of Queen's Park and they see all those portraits of our former premiers, they're now going to see a woman and be able to be inspired by her example. I mean, it's a very, um, a very lovely thing to say. And I should put in a little plug for Mike Harris, too, as well, Tony.
1: Yeah, he was there, uh, yeah.
2: Whom, whom you know so well. You know, there's one former premier there, and it was Mike Harris. Uh, And the irony, of course, is that is that Kathleen Wynne got into politics in the first place because Because she wanted to protest. Yeah, exactly. She wanted to protest the education reforms that you and you know Mike Harris and your government back in the '90s brought in. And and you know she hasn't had a lot of nice things to say about Harris in the past. And yet there he was in the front row uh, as as a really good example of the kind of ecumenical, uh, across partisan lines, uh, approach that. Everybody took to that ceremony. It's one of the reasons it was so lovely. Last yep. so your question. No question Doug Ford has changed this year compared to last year, and I think part of it is, um, of it is he can read polls as well as anybody, and his polls went into the dumper amazingly quickly. Um, part of it is that he, I think he read the temperature that uh, the kind of uh, – well, Melissa Lansman's got this great line that Doug Ford is a bull who brings his own China shop with him. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, it's a great line, and it really does describe how, how how chaotic and disruptive the first year was. And I think there's an added understanding that that's not where most people are in politics in Ontario. He's changed his chief of staff. I think um, Jamie Wallace has brought in a professional approach to issues and communication in the office, all of which has, um, I think, served him better.
1: We, uh, I, I've got a, I, I know we're, we're imposing on your time, so I've got a couple of rapid-fire questions for you. Maybe Jody wants to ask a couple, too. But uh, you are one of the number one interviewers in, in the Dominion of Canada, if I can put it that way. You've interviewed so many different people, so many different walks of life, politics, and so on. What was your best interview and what was your worst interview?
2: <laughs> well, these are always hard questions to answer. But certainly the, um, hmm. the worst one is always easy to remember because it was with Mordecai Richler and he just was not in a mood to talk. <laughs> and there were a lot of two- and three-word answers to all my questions and I could feel the flop sweat gathering on my neck and my brow. So that one, even though it was 24 years ago, it still haunts me. Uh, you know, I've enjoyed interviewing Bill Clinton, Jimmy Carter, um, Mikhail Gorbachev. Tony Clement. I've had some nice <laughs> interviews
1: over the years. <laughs> no, that's a good. That's a good list, except for the last one. <laughs>
0: Steve, I, I wanted to quickly just jump into just from a career standpoint and the professional side of what you do with the agenda and TV Ontario. Do you ever see yourself at any other network or in any other broadcast capacity, or are you going to be there forever? Uh,
2: I'll be there as long as they want me. Okay. And, and the, uh, I, I think uh, you know. Tony will appreciate this, because Tony was in public life for many years, because that's the job he was meant to do. And he he understands that feeling, that, that sort of calling. And if it doesn't sound too presumptuous, I think this is the work I'm supposed to be doing, and I think I'm doing it where I'm supposed to be doing it. It okay. just feels right.
1: And uh, what's your next book?
2: Oh, I'm trying really hard after 580 pages on Bill Davis not to do a next book. I think I need a break, Mr. Clement. <laughs> I think... That was my seventh book, and, um, you know, writing a book is hard enough at the best of times, but I actually had a full-time job while I was writing all those books, so I need a break.
0: Actually, Steve, before we let you go, I just wanted to tell one little story and get your thoughts on it. I don't know if you saw the picture we posted when we announced you were coming on on Twitter. It was me and you at a Sir John A. event in in, in 2014, (laughs) and if you remember, they unveiled a statue, uh, that was going to be placed or was placed in Picton, Ontario. Yep. And I don't know if you've heard, but now there's some more backlash to not put it back out because what had happened was they stored it for a bit while they were doing some reworking or revitalization of downtown Picton. Now they were bringing it back out to display it. And of course, some, some individuals in the community are saying, whoa, do we really want to put this up? I'm just interested in your thoughts. I mean, I think the statue needs to go back up, but I, I, I'm assuming you would be on the same page.
2: Well, it's a great debate, and I think that's one of the things that statues let us do. Uh, It lets us debate our history and find out um, these uh, people's role in it. Um, The notion that we ought not to have statues of our first Prime Minister, Sir John A. MacDonald, up in public strikes me as a bit odd. Uh, That we ought to take his name off public schools strikes me as a bit odd. Um, But that we not acknowledge that Sir John A. MacDonald was the architect um, of a residential schools policy that was uh, astonishingly hurtful to generations of First Nations people is something we need to recognize as well. I've always thought that one of the best ways to kind of deal with this issue is, for sure, put the statues of Macdonald up, remind everybody there's no Canada without Sir John A. He was the indispensable element to making it happen, but let's not glorify him, let's not make him more um, in death than he was in life, let's put plaques up beside those statues, uh, telling people what the whole record was, and and encouraging people to debate his role in history, and to me that, you know, a statue can provide um, uh, a pretty constructive role in that regard. I'm interested as well, guys, that um, even Jimmy Carter says he wouldn't be pulling down statues of Confederate generals all over the South. Uh, he'd be he'd be more for the plaque, right? He'd be for the right. accompanying plaque that that puts things into context and promotes debate. Um, so I don't know, I think it's all it's all
0: worth discussing. Steve Paykin is our guest, and another thing podcast. Tony Clement, Jody Jenkins. Tony, did you have any more questions? Or I, I want
1: I want Steve uh, I want Steve to answer just one more question, which is, uh, you know. During interviews, sometimes things happen just before or during uh, an interview which changed the context of the interview. I know this is a very amorphous question, but it, did that ever happen to you where you, you went in thinking you were going to interview about this, but then something blew up and then you had to change on the spot?
2: I can give you a great example of that. and It happened with the woman we were talking about earlier, Kathleen Wynne. Uh, this was at a time when I think she was education minister at the time. And we had had a big discussion um, among ourselves, among the production team, about whether, about how much of Kathleen Wynne's background, personal background, we were going to get into. And and I, one of the things I argued with myself was, do I give her a heads up before starting the interview that we're going to be talking about? You know, was the first openly gay premier in in Canadian history. Uh, you know, should I give her a heads up that we want to get into this kind of stuff, or? You know, should I just sort of spring it on her in the interview, or should I not bring it up at all? And we had this debate, and, you know, ended up doing what we ended up doing. The next time she was on the program, we were having a discussion about something else entirely different. She might have been transportation minister at the time, and we were talking transport policy. And then, apropos of absolutely nothing, somehow the issue of her previous appearance came up. And I explained all this to her. This was not part of the interview at all. I remember wow. saying, you know what, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go off the page here because you brought this up and I wanna tell you the conundrum that we were all having here about how much of your background we ought to talk about last time and I was afraid to bring it up ahead of time because if you didn't want to talk about it, that would kinda torpedo the interview before it even started. And we had this very authentic, unanticipated conversation in the middle of this interview and and the and the lesson was she told me You should have brought it up ahead of time, and I would have been happy to talk about it, and and we all learned something. Uh, That moment has always stayed with me. You know, Tony Jody, authenticity, those authentic moments where you're not on autopilot, where people are not giving canned answers, where something unexpected happens and it's real, that's the stuff you remember. And even though this was probably ten years ago when this happened, I still remember it now.
1: Well, I think uh, Jody, we can say that uh, Steve Paikin has given us a, an authentic interview. Yes, here. absolutely. So I want to thank him for that.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for doing this, Steve, and we look forward to having you on in the future. You can come back anytime.
2: Pleased to be with you guys. It was a pleasure.
0: Unbelievable interview. That guy. I'm shocked though that he sees himself there forever. You know, as yeah, long no, as they he, have, he, he, because I could see him at other networks. But oh yeah,
1: he and he has a national following, even though he's on. Uh, He's on Pokeroo, Ontario. Yeah. So, you know, good for him, and obviously, it, it works with his lifestyle and his family life and so on. But yeah. he does. Ha- I mean, a lot of people were saying uh, at the uh, about the national uh, TV debates in the last federal election, what was missing was Steve Paikin. Yeah, you know, because yeah. uh, he knew how to do a televised national leaders debate. So that's the kind of power he has.
0: Yeah, he is one of the strongest interviewers. That I've ever oh, ever bar, seen, bar none. Yeah, bar none. so it's yeah. Uh, that was awesome. So we certainly appreciate Steve and his time. So that brings us to the end of another episode. Yes. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Tell Instagram. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Subscribe. Send us cards and letters, and <laughs> and uh, you know uh, on on the Twitter machine. Yeah. Actually, you can email us another thing podcast at <laughs> gmail. Dot .com. Absolutely. I believe that's what it is. Something so like that. Anyway, we'll let her we'll, we'll double check with our producer. Enjoy the rest of your week, Tony. You too.